Hey, everybody. We're talking to Alex Carroll today. What an amazing guy. He's an entrepreneur who founded Caliber Games and has some incredible stories coming out of life during COVID lockdowns. He's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett, sitting in Thrive Studios in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair. But more importantly, we have an amazing guest today, an entrepreneur, a documentary maker, a Price is Right superstar, former running back for a well-known NFL quarterback. Welcome to the show, Alex. <laughs> Thank you, Dallas. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, this is good. I've been looking forward to this conversation. This is going to be so much fun. I know the listeners are going to just have a ball, but like, let's get started with this most important little fact. You were the running back for a NFL quarterback. Tell us who that is and how that went. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun journey with that. So I went to Highland Park High School in Dallas, Texas, which is where uh, Matthew Stafford was the famous number one quarterback recruit. I like uh, to say that he used to just hand the ball to me in high school. <laughs> uh, that's that's what he did. you're practically the reason that he's in the NFL right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember uh, a lot of the running back coaches and our head coach just talked about how the most important thing was to protect Matthew and pass protection. So I think that still all rings true for the Rams offensive yeah. line. So no, but it's, it's been, it's been really fun to see his journey and see him be successful and kind of knowing how hard he works, how much humility he has. It's been fun to see the success. Was he that hardworking back even in high school when you played with him? What do you remember about him back in high school? Yeah, I think he definitely was one of those guys that had the natural talent. I would mm. say, like, just looking, you can see his, like, physique change over the years where he's, like, taking lifting weights and working out more seriously. I think in high school, he was just so talented, worked really hard on understanding coverages and understanding, like, how football works. Mm. He was so smart, and that's why he was able to go to Georgia, start right away, and then get drafted number one. Wow. He just awesome. understood the game better than everyone else. Just knew the game. That's so cool. That's so cool. So let's talk about your journey a little bit. You have made documentaries, but that's not what you do now. We'll get to that later, but it's mm -hmm. just very interesting. And now you're an entrepreneur. So let's talk about a little bit about uh, your journey in the air, into the realm of documentary making. What was that all about? Yeah, so... Right when I graduated, I actually went to school to play football at Georgetown. Most people don't know they have a football team. They're <laughs> more known for basketball, but that allowed me to get into the school. And I was an entrepreneurship major in the business school, uh -huh. which I just learned a ton. And I learned about taking risks and I learned about, you know, setting your expectations correctly on certain types of businesses. And so I had a really great 
entrepreneurship professor that was actually like the head of UBS Private Wealth in DC that I still am friends to this day. And we were talking about making a documentary film. I talked to him about it and he was just encouraging and said, just go for it. So we did a little Kickstarter. We raised money while we were in college to go make a Christian documentary called Beware of Christians. Uh, and once we can, once we completed, that was what I was going to do. We were going to try to find a way to make money on this movie and show the movie across the country. And so we were able to make a deal with Sony, their Christian divisions called Provident Films. Hmm. And they bought the rights to the film and then they made the DVDs. They put it in all the major Christian bookstores. And then they, we worked with them to plan a nationwide tour where we would show the movie you know, get up on stage to a Q&A and then sell the DVD afterwards, which is funny to say sell DVDs now because that's just not not a thing. It um, doesn't seem like it was so long ago, man. Yeah. Uh, when it's uh, funny because documentary, when you have a documentary and you're trying to show it to people, back then digital advertising wasn't what it was now, right? Yeah. So we would literally, it was very practical business experience because you would show up and it's like, how do I get people to go to this movie? And how do I get people to buy the product? Mm. I mean, obviously our goal, there was a mission there where we wanted to talk to people about our experience as Christians. And so that was a driving force, but you still had to make money. Yeah. And so I think we learned a lot about marketing tactics and how to get people's attention and all of those fun things that you have to do for every business. Now, it sounds to me like the title of that is a little edgy, right? So it sounds like yeah. Beware of Christians. It's like they're lurking in the shadows. They're going to jump out <laughs> like the zombie apocalypse. So tell me, what was that about? And how did you go about collecting that information? And who did you get it yeah. from? Yeah, I think Beware of Christians was, it ended up being more of, like a self-reflection documentary where we would go and just ask people about the faith, like why they believe what they believe, where did that come from? And just try to get perspective from people about how they view the Bible, how they view different topics, especially in a time like college when you're trying to, when you're faced with all these different challenges and all these different new decisions that you have to make. Right. And so Beware of Christians was, honestly, a lot of it came from, I grew up in the South where kind of lukewarm Christianity, where you just go to church, say the right things and just move on with your life. And you don't actually have any heart change or change in your day circumstances. That was the beware part, right? Because you can say you're a Christian, but if, if nothing in your life changes, then, you know, are you really a Christian? Mm. Oh, that's good. That's good. And so you had, did you have anybody that just was pushing back or did you have any situations that you had to deal with that were unexpected and all that? I would assume that with that title, you might. Yeah, we had a bunch of, I would say like when we would go onto a campus, we would flyer and put 10,000 flyers all over the campus, literally 10,000, <laughs> like a day and a half, two days with all four of us just like going to town and all the dorm rooms and everything else. I would say there was like atheist groups or agnostic groups on campus that would come and try to like give their differing views on everything, which is fine. We, we accepted that. But I think sometimes it became a little bit more of a show than a, a valid attempt of trying to Coming debate together, the topics. Debate, yeah. yeah. So th that was like a funny, I would say it was more like entertaining than it was like, oh, this is, you know, this is bad. Like they're trying to shut our <laughs> show down. Well, it wasn't anything like that. Okay. That's awesome. So you skipped over a lot of information there. I think that's very interesting, especially if anybody, because I, I have a friend of mine that made a documentary and it is a, 
it is a process, man. It's a, there's different types of way you record and all these different ways that you can distribute. How did you get connected? You're in college and entrepreneurship and you get connected and somehow it, you pitch this to Sony. How does one go about creating a documentary and then just saying, I pitched to Sony? Yeah. 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 It's not as complicated as it may seem. I think what where I found myself was is I had one of my best friends in high school. His name is Will Backey. He was the director and at film school at Baylor. So he had the equipment. He had the know-how of how to shoot it. He knew how to edit it. And I think that's really his strongest skill suit is just editing. So we had the vision for the film. We talked about what we wanted to shoot. And then he was able to do all the post-production you know, he filmed it while we were in Europe. We le- we all learned how to use the camera. We learned how to interview people. We learned how to do all that stuff just on the fly. And then yeah. when it was finished, it's just a long process of going back and forth, giving feedback until you finally have the, the picture lock. And then that's where I stepped in is once the film was finished, I was able to be like, okay, I'm in business school. This is like what we should do to try to make it a real movie and yeah. get it distribution and all those other things. So I think that's where it was really fun for me to use what I was learning in school in a practical use case to say, okay, how do we make this a functioning business? Right. And it was a fun challenge. And I had mentioned this like before the show started, but one of the funny marketing tactics that we used that ended up being our biggest one was we were touring the film around. I think we're like midway through our first year. Which, by the way, we ended up driving over 60,000 miles. Good gracious. Which I think the math is, I can't remember how many times around the United States that is. But we drove for two and a half years. And we know we drove 60,000 miles because that's how many miles we put on the car that we were driving. (laughs) (laughs) So I always remember we sold it for, we bought a van in a parking lot and then sold it 60,000 miles later, (laughs) which was a really funny experience. But no, so we were trying to come up with, we were in L.A., and we, my wife, we got engaged and married right before the tour started. And she came to me and she was like, hey, we should try to get on the prices right tomorrow. And I was like, what? This is after the Super Bowl. And I was like, okay. I was like what, what do you think? So we started researching, hey, what are the, what is the best way to get on the prices right? First, like, where do you go? What's your, how do you increase your chances? Like we were looking up all the statistics of like, okay. Will's going to be the cool college filmmaker. I'm going to be the crazy, screaming, do a backflip <laughs> athlete character. And then Kelsey's going to be the cute girl. Yeah. We'll, just, we'll play those three roles and we'll see if we can get on the show. Well, we go, we, we, we're the first one there at 4 a.m. We oh wait all day. Gosh. Yeah, oh you wait all gosh. day. And then what's so funny is you literally wait all day. So I think at around like 3 p.m., a producer walks by and you're sitting in line. You've been waiting there since 4 a.m. Producer walks by. Will Backy goes first. He's like, hi, I'm Will Backy. I'm a filmmaker from Baylor, Texas, this kind of stuff. And then I went and he goes to me and I screamed and I ran up the wall, did a backflip <laughs> and just started screaming at the top of my lungs just as I was like, oh, maybe then maybe this will get their attention. And, and yeah, and what was funny is, and then so Kelsey awesome. goes, well, what was funny was, is that we noticed he wrote something down next to his, on his notepad when Will spoke and then didn't write anything down for me, didn't write anything down for Kelsey. Ah. So then we spend the next like three hours talking about what we're going to do when we win the Price is Right, because we were just like, <laughs> oh, we're like someone, one of us is getting on. So we get it, we get into the show. Drew Carey is up there and he says, come on down, Will Backy. Oh my and gosh. So he's, 
he's like the second person. So I'm like tackling him into the aisle. <laughs> we're freaking out. We can't believe we're actually on the show. And then he ends up, this is a long story short, but he ends up getting onto one of the games. He wins the game. Oh and my. then when he go when he goes to spin the wheel, Drew Carey says, is there anyone you'd like to thank? And he was just like, yeah, I'd like to thank Jesus and like plugs the Beware of Christians movie. Oh, uh, wow. Because that's, we that's what we were touring. So then Kelsey wrote a press release that said, Beware of Christians director praises Jesus on The Price is Right. And oh, so then that, that, ran, that ran as the front page of Fox News online. And we sold all of the DVDs that we had. We sold more money in that one day than we did the whole two years. Oh, my God. So just a so, funny story. Little shout out to the Price is Right for yeah. uh, selling you uh, DVDs. <laughs> that was so savvy that she wrote that press release. Had she planned on doing that before, or when he said no, that, no. that we, was we just like right plan. in the uh, right in the moment. Yeah, uh -huh. I think the lesson is. I think the lesson is like a business owner or marketer is that just like sometimes you have to be confident and have the right mindset going in mm -hmm. and expect certain things like expect to win expect things to go your way mm. and it's almost like as i've gotten older i've been doing this like 12 years now it's like a little bit you have to be a little naive mm. right your odds of getting on the price right are pretty low <laughs> that's right, right? And that's it's so like true though but if you can do a little research put a little work in ahead of time like maybe we increase our chances from three percent to ten percent right mm. and so i think I think, and then being able to understand if Kelsey doesn't write that press release, nothing happens. Right. 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 So it's like taking advantage of moments in time that you can say, okay, like, what can we do to, to amplify this? Because mm. this is like a unique circumstance. So that was like, my wife's very smart and has a lot of really good marketing ideas. And it comes into play later in our lives with different businesses. But that was a really good one. And it worked out great. Man, she, she nailed it on that one. So what happened on the price of right? I got to know. Did oh, he, yeah. Good question. Good question. So, first of all, Will is the worst person in the world for the game that he played. It was like matching grocery prices. <laughs> and and Will, I don't think, has ever been to the grocery store. <laughs> he was the kid that just like went to church's chicken. Yeah, and like, yeah. That was it. <laughs> and just ate like terrible, terrible food. But no, yeah, this is actually maybe this is too much information. But literally, he's on the show. He bids on the thing correctly, which it was like the last game. Like he had bid oh. incorrectly like six times in a row. So the seventh or eighth game, whatever it was, he goes on stage and it's price matching. And it really just comes down to like, he has to match one grocery item to another grocery item that are the same. Mm. And so he picks one of the grocery items and Drew Carey looks at him. He goes, okay, which product matches this price? It's dead silent in the crowd. And only thing you hear is someone in the audience yells, it's the tilapia. <laughs> and, so, and so Will Will literally goes, Oh uh, yeah, I guess I'm gonna go with uh, tilapia. And it's like ding 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 ding. <laughs> guy was won. right. He won. The guy oh, was right. So, man. so he won. And we were laughing because it was like it wasn't the worst prize, but when you think that they're gonna move the wall and you're gonna have like a car, you're gonna have some yeah. big it was a it was an all expenses paid trip to Durango, Colorado. What? <laughs> yeah. Random. And it was so random. But it was like eight, it was like an eight thousand dollar trip. Oh like nice hotel, all the stuff. So me, Will, and Michael, our other partner, ended up going on that trip to Durango. Wow. And we were known as around town as like the price is right winners because they advertised it. It's like a small little town. 
So yeah, you were local. He, he, you were local celebrities, man. You were local yeah, celebrities we were. in Durango. We were for a hot minute, but yeah, he <laughs> he ended up not. He spun the wheel and like didn't make it to the showcase. Oh well, hey, listen, he got the trip to Durango, and more importantly, he got to get the word out about the documentary. What a great story! I love that story, and I love the fact that. You- I just got a mental image of you just running up the wall and doing a flip and just yelling stuff. Dude, oh, that it's is so awkward so for everyone. Yeah, everyone around was just like, what is going on? Why is this kid screaming? But it yeah, worked. It you guys funny. got on the show and he, yeah. he actually made the thing. So that's that's such a great story. Such a great story. So if you ever want, so any of our listeners, if you're ever trying to get on The Price is Right, you've got the strategy here. Alex has shared mm-hmm. it. And then you know how to leverage that so if you get asked what who you want to think, just keep that in mind. So if you're wanting to promote exactly. something, use that, leverage that. So that's exactly. really good. So now this takes us up. You've gotten through this documentary phase. You've been traveling the country for two years. You've been on The Price is Right. But then you start to, you, you do something different. You pivot a little bit. Tell us the transition on how you got, how did you get from there to where you are now? Yeah, it's funny. It's like a long journey, but the short of it is we finished the documentary. We ended up raising money to make a narrative feature film called Believe Me, uh, which Mm. is about four college seniors who make a fake Christian charity and steal money from people. (laughs) You can it's called it's called Believe Me, and you can actually watch it on Amazon Prime. Oh my god! We got like uh, Nick Offerman from Parks and Rec to be in it. We got Shooter McGavin from. Happy Gilmore. We got like a really fun cast from LA. We spent two and a half years making that movie. What was fun and interesting about that was that it was about our experience traveling around the country, which is the power of platforms, right? People, for some reason, when someone gets up on stage and tells them something, that platform power is real. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like a real thing. So it's, it's, it was an important film for us to make. So we made that movie, released it. When we released it, just ended up like not making, the return that we needed to make for us to want to all do it again. We'd been doing it for five years. So I ended up moving back to Dallas, wanted to start a company. And so we had looked into starting an event business where we would, we came up with a game concept. We'd make these different games for brands outside of sporting events. So we started a company called Toss Up Events. And this and was that, a, like an experiential marketing type yeah. thing or? It's like an experiential marketing. Yeah. The, the idea came from, we went to a Cowboys game and some guy came up to me in a, a Ford Polo with an iPad trying to get me to sign up for a raffle. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, man, there's got to be something more engaging that Ford would want to spend money on to promote Ford outside of the Cowboys game. Right. So we came up with these massive game structures Great. It was a really fun concept and we raised the money and hired some people and then just went down that road, built that business for two and a half years. We ended up growing it literally one event at a time. Wow. And we, my wife was involved. I didn't have kids at the time. So we were able to just kind of work on the business night and day. And then that's where my story really changes. We built the business. We had 13 full-time employees. We were on track to do three to $4 million in revenue that year. And then that was the year, I think that was like year three of the business that the pandemic hit. And so we literally, what's interesting. Yeah. What's interesting about COVID that I don't think people realize the event industry, like the live event industry was hit the first, like first. Oh yeah. It was like gone. 
Yeah, it was like your whole business went to zero. It went to negative, right? Mm. Like it went to, you had all these events booked. Our biggest client is a big grocery store chain in Southeast called HEB. And I remember we had like 60 events scheduled with them over the next three months and they had to cancel every single one. So it was just like, oh, okay. It was a gut punch, right? We had spent three years building the business. We just moved to Dallas. We had just had our first kid. Oh. Max, who was like one year old. And so we had all these things, right? And I think at that moment, as a business owner, I was very fortunate to have really good investors and advisors at that moment. And I'll never forget. So I, all of our events were canceled. It was kind of like out of a movie. That weekend, like, I think it was like March something, 2020. We had 13 people all over the country, everything from Madison Square Garden to Atlanta Motor Speedway. And every single person that worked for us called and said, hey, my event was canceled. Hey, my event was canceled. So everyone drove home back to the home base. And one of my investors said, hey, Alex, I'm, my first call was like, hey, I need to raise some money to like cover all this because we don't have any money coming in from events. And he said, hey, Alex, the business is done. You need to let every single person go tomorrow Good and you need, gracious. and you need to conserve all the cash that you can, and you need to try to survive. Well, his advice that day. So this is like events got canceled at 2 PM. He's telling me this at 11 PM at night, everyone got back into the office, like later the next day, you know, like 12 hours later. And we just let every single person go, just told them the circumstances and just said like, hey, we're going to try to find a way to like bring you guys back. We'll, we'll see what happens. Oh my um, gosh. I mean, I know but, that's rough. Like that, there's nothing oh, easy. Oh yeah. That, especially because you've been blood, sweat and tears together for three years, <clears throat> grown this company out of the dirt and you're successful. You've got investors and then something completely, I mean, that's just completely out of your control. And it's not yeah. just like a little something. It's like the world shut down. And you got hit first and that, and there is nothing easy about that, man. Mm. Yeah. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful we created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. No, it was tough conversations, a lot of tears, a lot of the things you might assume. But I think, you know, I don't know what it was. I think we sat around. We felt sorry for ourselves for a couple of days. And then after that, we said, okay, well, we're not just going to sit around and wait for events to come back. Like, what can we do? We have a 10,000 square foot warehouse. I'd kept a couple of the guys, you know, on as contractors to kind of help me clean up the warehouse, that kind of stuff. I was like, what can we do during this time period? Well, we had thought, okay, events might come back in a couple months. Well, 
that was just naive. We didn't know. Yeah. Well, when they did, we thought, okay, when they do come back, what are we going to need? What are requirements for events? We said, okay, hand sanitizer is going to be a big deal. Hand sanitizer stations. So all of my vendors that had built all of my games, they had nothing to do. No one had anything to do. So mm. I called the vendors and I said, hey, can you, here's a hand sanitizer station idea. I can't buy one. Can you make this? Mm. So I asked him to make a prototype. We started sourcing all these different hand sanitizer dispensers online just because we knew we were going to need them. And then once we realized, wow, you can't find hand sanitizer, you can't find the dispensers, and you can't find the stands. And if we're thinking about this, there's probably a lot of other people thinking about this around the country. So we developed an idea of like, okay, I'm going to go try to find dispensers. I'm going to try to find hand sanitizer. If we can get all three pieces in-house, we could probably sell them and make some money. Yeah. And so then that was when the adventure started. So Kelsey and I got in our our house, came up with the company name called Stand Up Stations, which was the idea was like stand up against COVID. And so we, you know, made the paperwork for that. We started developing the stands, the prototypes. We started sourcing hand sanitizer. We started sourcing dispensers. And this was kind of before anyone else was doing this. So we launched the company, started texting people around town, anyone that we knew, existing clients. And we just started selling uh, hand sanitizer. I mean, to get hand sanitizer, this is a funny story. You have to, you had to buy a 53-foot truck worth. So it was like, I think it was like 4,000 gallons. Oh, Uh, my God. And I think I I think What do you you put 4,000 gallons of hand sanitizer, man? Well, like I said, we had a 10,000-square-foot warehouse. Oh, wow. We had the ability to store it. I think what's crazy, and I think, you know, when we end the story, it was like stand-up stations ended up being incredibly fortunate, right place, right time. But I think what some people don't understand when they see the big numbers and they see the success of a company, they don't re- really understand the risk or the what you have to do to take a chance like that. So at that point, I had no business, one kid, no money in the bank, but I had a $100,000 credit card line, like on my personal credit card. And so when I bought the 4,000 gallons, it was like $99,280 or something like that. And so luckily, luckily my wife is very, she's a risk taker. So we both were like, all right, let's just go for it. So you got to sell a lot of hand sanitizer to pay that back in a reasonable amount of time. That's, that's, that's an, that's an intense month right there. We got a truckload. We got to empty this bad boy out. It'd be great if we could do it in 30 days. Yeah. And the scariest part was you're spending the, and the reason I was excited to, or more excited to do it on our credit card was that I could at least claim fraud if the guy wasn't legit. Right. Oh yeah. So there was some recourse. If I just sent him cash, it's oh. kind of like, there's oh. no, Oof. there's no options there. Yeah. So it was a scary time, right? There was only, there was a company out of California called new Gentex and I'd got a hold of the owner and found a way to do it. And I said, I'll give you a hundred grand a day. And so he said yes. And he ended up delivering that truckload before everyone else got it there was like all that press about first responders right to get the hand sanitizer all that, that just like was just the press like it was whoever had the money to pay right was sure get the, yeah was gonna, has, get, was gonna get the, hand the money yeah that's right that's yeah, who gets like, hand sanitizer you got money yeah, you get so, the sanitizer yeah and the reason the hospitals didn't get it is like they didn't they didn't put the money up right they oh. they were just they they were like oh net ninety terms and no it was just are you serious so you're saying that they the sanitizer was available they could have done it but they didn't well, in a lot of circumstances you, they just you just have. have to you just have to move quick hospitals yeah. don't move quick yeah, First yeah. companies don't move quick yeah you had to like make the deal that day 
right? It was oh, just, there was no, there was no thinking. So we, over the next, you know, 30 days, it was the craziest thing ever. We started doing advertising. We got a call from, we started just selling. We sold all those, we sold all that hand sanitizer in like four days. What? The whole truckload? Whole truckload. <laughs> yeah. And then it was just from there. Uh, oh I think uh, I think we had uh, we had grossed like a million dollars in the first two weeks, and we started. We got a an inquiry from um, like our, the PR company that we had worked with in the past. We ended up getting on Sean Hannity radio show. What uh, talking about the business, and we brought all of our employees back, all that kind of stuff, which. That ended up being a huge, I didn't realize how big his radio show is. Mm, so yeah. we got like 16 minutes with Sean Hannity. We ended up getting uh, on Good Morning America talking what? about it. About hand yeah. sanitizer. About, well, it was, a, it was a good story, right? All the stories were negative on the news. Yeah. This was like a, hey, a local company loses 13 employees. They're able to bring them all back, bring the jobs back into Texas and it was just a good so you it was did. a feel so, good story. So you did bring everybody back. So you Yeah, had, so oh, so once man. once we started once it started to sell, I called everyone back and said, Hey, every hand sanitizer you sell, I'll give you a hundred dollars. Right. And so people just started we that was back when you could you know, you were selling them for three or four hundred bucks because it oh, cost this much. I had to pay this. Right. So we had we had guys just selling them round the clock. So then the next there's all kinds of crazy stories like in this thing, but the funniest one was, so we're about to get on Good Morning America. We had made a couple million dollars already in revenue and I had to get the hand sanitizer dispensers before we went on the show because we knew we were going to sell out. I think this is a lesson to any business owner out there of like, sometimes you just have to get on a plane and make it happen. So our hand sanitizer broke, uh, was in Miami. His name was Jimmy. And I was like, I have no idea who this guy is. The broker but I'm was buying, in Miami. You know, okay. Yeah, brokers in Miami. I was buying 5,000 hand sanitizer dispensers and we needed them because we were about to be on Good Morning America. And the guy said, well, I'm sorry, they're going to be delayed three weeks. There's no way you're going to get them in time. Oh. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to meet you tomorrow. I'm going to fly to Miami tonight. I'm going to meet you tomorrow. Let's try to make a deal. And so I get on the plane with my wife, Kelsey. Parents are watching the kids, or kid. And we literally fly to Miami. We meet this guy, Jimmy. We just say, Jimmy, what's it going to take for you to, like, I was literally going there just to bribe him. Like, what is it going to take for you to get us these dispensers in four days, five days? And he said, probably $50,000. Like, okay, great. So we just went to the bank, got $50,000, handed it to him. Good gracious. And he, and he was laughing. He's like, who are these people? Like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> well, Jimmy, this is where I'm telling the story because it segues into where we are now, but so Jimmy ends up going into his warehouse and he was like, hey, you guys are making your own stands in the U.S., which is a great story. But he's like, if you want to sell more and give people like a more economical option, I have this stand from China that I can sell to you for 99 bucks and you could resell it on your site for 250 easy. So he's trying to sell me on this hand sanitizer station that's made in China. And we were kind of like, ah, oh, we don't really want to do the China thing. Yeah. But he ends up selling us on it. So to, to buy them, you had to spend, you had to buy a full shipping container worth, which was like 3,000 dispens or stations. And Kelsey, my wife, ends up being like, well, why don't we buy as many as we can with the money that we have? So I think at that time, 
like the net profit was like 600,000 and we spent all of it on those stations. Oh, so you went all the, all the earnings so we went all you in had, again. You went all in again, man. You just so keep we pushing all, the chips to the middle of the table, man. So we, we pushed them, but that was like, that was a testament to my wife just being a baller. And she's like, Hey, <laughs> like let's, uh, we've already been at zero. Yeah. Might as well just, might as well just do it again. So we, we pushed the chips to the middle again. We ended up buying, we bought 6,000 that day. And we ended up buying from Jimmy probably 40,000 of them over the next two oh months. Oh, my goodness. And so we sold, we ended up hundreds of thousands of items over the next three to four months and just rode. We ended up having 30 employees and selling things like you could never imagine. Like it was, it was, it was crazy. Unbelievable. So, yeah. Crazy story. We were super thankful for the situation that we were in to a certain extent. I mean, obviously it's never a great situation when you're in the middle of a pandemic, but I feel like we had a purpose of, Hey, people need hand sanitizer to reopen their business. We yeah. can provide that service. We can have really good customer service, all of the above. So it was a fun, I say fun. It was a unique experience in that, like over the last 10 years, all the skills that we had developed, we really got to put them on display and, and work really hard and get things done. Yeah. No, that's an incredible story. That is so awesome. I love how you just consistently take calculated risks, which may or may not be, I mean, when you take them, it's just like, we're all in. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no turning around. This is going to work or we're going to find something else. Here we go. And so <laughs> yeah. I just, I love that though, because that you do so well at finding the, the wave and finding that opportunity. You're, you have a tremendous propensity to capitalize on opportunity. I think that's, a testament to both you and your wife and the story of the documentary and the price is right. And you capitalize on that opportunity. And then you have this event because you've got some connections and you see this opportunity with events, you capitalize on that. And then you take that. And I love how you're leveraging things from each area. You had the PR firm back when you're doing your documentary and you're pulling them back in. You have these, you have these event equipment manufacturer people, mm -hmm. you're bringing them in to make the stands. And so you're just constantly seeing these common threads that you can pull together. And I love how you move quick. You just, you're not afraid to move and fly into Florida. That's, uh, that's awesome to go meet with the broker. What's it going to take? 50 grand. All right, here we go. Who are you? you know, like, <laughs> that's just really great. So I think that's um, well, a big, a big, I think it's a good reminder to like, sometimes you just have to like get off the couch and go meet someone. I think with a lot of the work from home and everything else. Sometimes you, it's like a little bit of a lost art of when you sit down with someone, you can get a good read on them. We were about to spend 600 grand and wire the money to China. Like we had no idea if it was gonna, you really have to trust the person that's telling you this. Well, the only way to really develop any level of trust is like, you gotta meet with them. We met his yeah. wife, we met his kids. You get a little, a little sense of who he is. The ironic, funny part about that story. So where we transitioned from that to where I am now with Caliber Games, Jimmy ends up being like my, he's my partner in the new business. We talk every day almost. And this is, and the, is, this like is the guy that you're talking to for the container. Yeah, this is Jimmy. This is Jimmy. Yeah, so this is Jimmy the broker. Yeah. Jimmy the broker turns into a partner in this new, this new venture. Yeah. That is he's my partner. incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So let's talk about that because this is how you and I connected, right? So, Think Move Thrive is doing a leadership summit in the next couple of weeks. And I was actually looking at, because we're going to have great content. We, we always do. We're gonna, everybody's going to get a lot out of, of the different breakout sessions and speakers and the whole deal. But 
think move thrive likes to have a good time. And so I'm online, I'm looking at different options for, <clears throat> for games that we can integrate. We have some, we've done a lot in other ones, but I just wanted something new, something different, something we hadn't seen. And I come across this crazy tower thing that everybody looks like they're having fun at online. And I have no idea what I typed in. So don't ask me what my search term, I have no idea. Cause I was on, I was looking for a long time and I, I don't know what I was typing in, but anyway, this thing comes up. And it's called Tower Ball. And it's, you know, they're playing in the yard. They're playing inside. And I was looking, I was like, that is perfect. And I, the only way I can describe it, you can have to go on Caliber Games and, and look up Tower Ball. But it's like, I don't know, you may not describe it this way, but I would say it's like, a, it's like an upright three-dimensional cornhole or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, no, it's good. more difficult because there's just some, you have just a very unique way of taking concepts and putting your own spin on it. And this Tower Ball is like that. And and I looked at it, I loved it, went to Caliber, and just, you got a lot of games. Then I was like, oh, there's more. There's not just this tower. So we went all in, <clears throat> purchased a lot of Caliber games for this summit. And so that's why when I got the games in, I wanted to test them out. So I got the kids together. I'm like, let's go play this game. I want to see if it's, it's legit. And man, we had a ball. And so obviously after that, I was like, Man, I've got to talk to this guy. I've I've got to get in touch. <laughs> I got to get in touch with Alex. Your story is great. So, it on your website, you don't tell the, all the backstory that we've just gone through, but you allude to this kind of coming out of the COVID lockdowns and everything else like that. Tell how you're making hand sanitizer. You've pivoted twice already. How do you then pivot to making backyard games for yeah. families? No, it's a good question, and thank you for the kind words on the game. We, we love we love developing games. We've loved making Tower Ball. Just like the, all the parts of the process are really fun and challenging in their own ways. But the way that we transitioned from stand-up stations is that business, we were the number one search result on Google. We paid for Google Ads like crazy. And so we kind of got the phone calls and had an idea of, okay, hand sanitizer, the market is slowly going down, right? Like it's eventually going to go back to normal. And so when we got a sense of that, we just said, okay, we've got some good inventory. We've got a good brand. Let's find a, an existing PPE company that might want to just buy stand-up stations, take our inventory, take all the stuff and use it in their own way. And so we ended up selling stand-up stations to a local group here that was already diversified and had a bunch of other PPE equipment. It was just a perfect fit for all parties. So we sold the hand sanitizer station business to them, which was like a fun experience to sell a business, to go through the purchase and sale agreement, to list your asset, all the fun, all the interesting things that I've never done. Before. How did you, how um, long did that business exist? I mean, we, we did it. We did it for nine months. Soup to nuts. Nine months. You were, you actually started it out from nothing and then sold it nine months later. I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's I know it's forever tainted our view of like how fast a company should grow. Unbelievable. So, so yeah, once we sold the business, you know, it was the first time that Kelsey and I were able to just take a breath in the last like 10 years, really take a breath, not have to worry about what we were doing next for a couple months. So we just took a month off, tried to figure out what we were going to do next. We knew we wanted to do a backyard game at some point in our life, just because we like the the idea of just screen-free, technology-free, just engage with your friends and your family, get off your phone, that whole kind of mantra. And so we realized, hey, Jimmy, who we're still friends with, has all the manufacturing relationships in China. And then we have an idea of how to bring a product to market. 
And so we started developing backyard game ideas. Tower Ball came to fruition. I literally like drew it in a 3D modeling software called SketchUp. Wow. We had a local person in Dallas make the prototype uh, out of PVC and different materials. And so we spent the next couple of months just prototyping, figuring out exactly the height, the weight, the dimensions, all of the above. And then we took the, the Tower Ball concept, partnered with Jimmy, sent it to the manufacturer in China and had them actually like engineer it and figure out how we were going to do the plastic injection mold. And then, yeah, then we just started Caliber Games. We started the business. We had this vision of launching a backyard game every couple of years and just try to see if we can make it work. So that was, we started that process in March of 2021. We launched Tower Ball in November of 2021. And then just have spent the last months really just selling Tower Ball, learning how to market different backyard games and just going full speed into that industry. That's unbelievable. That's awesome story. I love it. Love the games. I like the, the way the games are different in themselves because it's instead of on a straight line of whether you're playing horseshoes or whether you're playing yeah. cornhole or anything like that, These there's a lot of your games that's three-dimensional, so you're playing in a single mm-hmm. round. And I I like that because it's just different. Like I I, I like Tower yeah. Ball and uh, um, the other one Ho- Ho- Hoku, right? Yeah, Hoku. Hoku. Yep. It's uh just very interesting spins on some things, and it's great. They're they're fun. They're easy to play, and and um we've just had a great time with them. So I'm looking forward well, to thanks. it. I will definitely keep you posted on how because we're going to use them in some crazy ways. So we're not going to just yeah, we're going to have, have a little bit of the directions on the normal way to do it. Then we're going to put our own spin on it at the at the summit so it should be fun to see how everybody responds to that but just really good so i think if you've been listening to this story i think that one of some of the things that just really stick out to me is being able to capitalize on opportunities that you cross that most people don't and i think that's the defining characteristic of successful entrepreneurs but it doesn't have to just be for entrepreneurs. If you're leading a team, like for example, if you have a team and you're running across something in, in that business, you're always looking at how you're going to share that vision, how you're sharing the mission, how you're sharing those values. And if you run across an opportunity and somebody says, who do you want to thank? You can thank your team. It doesn't have to be on the prices right and you go to Good Morning America or it doesn't have to be these massive things. You're looking for opportunities to capitalize. You're looking for opportunities to share. You're looking for opportunities to promote. It doesn't matter if you're in sales or marketing or PR. You can be a leader of a business. You can be a leader company. And what he's just, Alex has done such a good job just showing us is the ability to capitalize on small moments and to use those to really leverage for, for future impact. And if you can do that as a leader in your business, what's a moment that's happened in your business or through COVID that you can amplify through your team, through your employees, through your teammates. And the other thing that I feel like Alex has talked about today that's really been so encouraging is the experience he had before launching a documentary was entrepreneurship classes in college. And then he just says, I'm going to leverage that and I'm going to pivot into doing a documentary. And then he has, he goes from that to running an event business at major events that has very little to do, but he takes that and just totally pivots again, but he pulls threads through that. And then he goes into hand sanitizers and then he goes into backyard games, which on the whole looks like you just, there's very few pieces that all that would fit together. And yet you've heard his story 
and how he used and leveraged what he knew in each of those categories and businesses before to make the next step forward. So it's not necessarily a straight line in terms of, you know, you start on this one company, you just go all the way up. But what Alex has done, I think you've done a great job sharing today, is just how you how you leverage opportunities that's in front of you as well. So it's not just about the moments, but it's about looking around the environment and seeing what's going on in the world and feeling a need, but then also having the strength that you have earned through past experience and bringing those tools along with you and use them in the new venture. So I love that. Do you have any... Um, do you have any words of wisdom you would like to share to leaders, coaches, entrepreneurs? What would you say is some of your advice if you were to offer advice about entrepreneurship or, or winning in business? Yeah, I think it's funny that this has like come to fruition a lot recently with just, we, we got Towerball into Dick's Sporting Goods. We've had all these different random opportunities come up. My biggest encouragement to everyone listening, business owners, leaders, whoever it may be, is bring back the the five minute phone call. I think it there's for some reason in the last five, six years, it's been a lot of emailing back and forth and scheduling 30 minute calls. And I've found that sometimes when you have a 30 minute call, you're thinking about the call before the call and you're kind of like mentally can't do any work before the call because you know you have your call coming up, whatever it may be. A lot of things can get lost in translation, communicating through email and text. I've found in my last 10 years, whenever I can just hop on the phone, clarify something, ask a quick question, get to the bottom of it quickly and over communicate, that five minute phone call has led to significantly less stress in my life, clarifications on business deals, clarifications on a lot of things. And this actually might seem like very specific, but it's important to think man, I really want to know the answer to something. You got to wait till Friday at two for the call. Sometimes that can linger and cause immobility in your business where you like literally don't, literally don't know. And, and it just, it can just waste a ton of time and a ton of, a lot of gears spinning in your head when there's not, not necessary. So I, I did that this morning. I called the director of the company and just asked a couple questions, figured it out. And it's like, now I don't have to spend the rest of the week thinking about it. I love it. I love it. And it's, I, I love how you cut through the clutter. And a lot mm -hmm. of what your story is just about focusing on what matters the most and going after that full tilt. And then mm -hmm. when you got that, what's the next thing that matters most? And that five minute phone call is like saying, okay, I need to know this information. I need to communicate this information. It's not about the quantity. If we have an hour long meeting and I'm just blah, 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 blah. It's yeah. about the quality. So if I can over communicate with a quality communication on a five minute phone mm -hmm. call, I cut through the clutter and I get what get to what matters most and then we can move forward. So it's just constantly like finding what matters most and then moving forward, find what matters most yeah. and moving forward. I love that, man. That's great. Exactly. Now we always, we always end the show asking the guest who they like to see on the show, who they like to hear on the last 10%. So who, who would you like to hear Alex on the, on the last 10%? I referenced this earlier in the podcast. One of my good friends, Will Backy, who is still a filmmaker, documentary maker out of Austin, Texas. Wow. He is pitching shows to all the different studios and network TV. He's had, he just got nominated for an Emmy for one of his documentaries that he did. He's continued to be successful and has a lot of really crazy, funny stories. He's actually the guy that was on The Price is Right and <laughs> went on the stage. He was funny. He just sent me a, they're pitching like a, 
a documentary about an encounter with a UFO that someone they know had, and they have all these crazy pitches that they do all the time for different networks. So uh, it's also what I like about Will is someone that's continued to persevere in the same industry in the same role. Of, there's no overnight success in that industry, really. You got to be grinding, making movies, making documentaries, making scripts, pitches, everything. And then eventually you're going to have a breakthrough. And I've seen that time and time again with Will. So would be an interesting guy to have on. Okay. Okay. Well, we will, uh, we'll have to reach out to Will and see if he's got some time for the last 10%. That'd be awesome. It sounds like it'd be a fun conversation with Will. Alex, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you again for your time. Thank you for all the help and support that you gave people during COVID with the hand sanitizers. And now thank you for uh, Caliber Games and helping families put down some screen time and get time, spend some time together. I, obviously, you didn't pay me to say all this about Caliber Games. I experienced it for myself. So this isn't no. a paid promotion. This is straight up. Think, move, thrive. Last 10% loves from Caliber Games. We just want to show the love and bring you on the show. So that's a really great story. It's been great to get to know you, and we wish you the best of luck. And we, maybe we can have you on some time with some updates, because if we wait six months, you're probably going to have some other venture business that you've got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. You never know. Yeah, but thank well, you thank again for being on the show, Alex. Yeah, thank you so much, Dallas. It's been a pleasure and it's been great getting to know you and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.